evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And tonight our topic is acupuncture and oriental medicine. Our guest is Bill Reddy, Vice President of the American Association of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine and President Emeritus of the Acupuncture Society of Virginia. He is also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Medical School and in private practice in Virginia. According to the 2002 National Health Interview Survey, an estimated 8.2 million U.S. adults have used acupuncture, with an estimated 2.1 million adults having used acupuncture in the previous year. So it's obvious this is one of the most recognized forms of complementary and alternative medicine today in this country. I agree with you. I think it's a great thing, and I hope that more and more Americans choose to use it as uh, their primary source of health care. Acupuncture is the key part of the traditional Chinese medicine system, and most people recognize acupuncture needles. But what really is this unique type of therapy? Oh, that's a good question. Well, if, if you're talking about acupuncture specifically, then what I would say is that you know, over 5,000 years, the Chinese figured out that there are certain points on your body that have therapeutic value. And basically, they charted out something that until 1950 really couldn't be proven. So the diagrams that you see with all the different points on the body and the meridians or pathways of energy really were all theory. And then in 1950, a Japanese scientist injected a radioactive isotope into acupuncture points and found, lo and behold, that fluid ran right along these pathways of energy. So they were able to prove that meridians exist. And then further on, electrical engineer geeks in France evaluated the electrical conductivity of the skin, and they found out right where the acupuncture points are, there's a drop of impedance. So once again, they were able to map out the 361 acupuncture points on the human body. So... You know, with that being said, we can do everything from modulate the endocrine system. So if someone has a problem with hot flashes, for instance, because their hormones are out of balance, we're able to work with that. We're able to work with everything from migraines to back pain to infertility, but I'm sure you'll be grilling me with uh, with additional questions. <laughs> I'll start with an easy one. Okay. How does acupuncture work? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Entire (laughs) books have been written about that. And the funny thing is is that uh, scientists, and again, I'm an ex-rocket scientist, so I've got a strong science background, that uh, scientists still don't know how it actually works. There's a number of theories out there, and each one has its own weaknesses. It's kind of like if you imagine that there's a broad spectrum of things that acupuncture treats and that the theories are able to cover a certain portion of that. So there are opioid theories where you needle certain points on the body and certain pain-reducing chemicals are released in the brain, and that's good, and that works. But what about for a woman who's not ovulatory? And so she she's, can't get pregnant, you needle certain points, and boom, she starts to ovulate again. So that doesn't really cover that. So there's gate theory, which has to do with certain pathways of nervous pathways in the body. And again, that's something that does cover pain, but it doesn't really cover some of the endocrine system. So there's a number of theories out there, but none of which is kind of like uh, Einstein, you know, who was always looking for that grand unified theory. And he was only able to come up with things that explained the very, very small and the very, very large, but not all of them together. And that's where it is today in the science of acupuncture. There are a lot of differences between traditional Chinese medicine and Western medicine, such as taking of pulses and checking the tongue. Could you compare and contrast some of these differences? 
The way I look at it is that the strengths in Western medicine really have to do with the emergency medicine. If you're hit by a bus, it's probably best that you go to the emergency room. The other thing that I'm very impressed with Western medicine is its diagnostic characteristics or capabilities in that they're able to do blood work, they're able to do MRIs, they're able to look inside you and find out specifically what's wrong. With acupuncture and oriental medicine, we do have a diagnostic system that's quite impressive, and just looking at a person's tongue and feeling their pulses, we're able to find out quite a bit about a person's state of health. However, when it comes to a problem, a chronic problem, let's say uh, stroke rehabilitation, that's where I believe that the Western medicine is a little weak, and that's where you know, a person has a problem, a thrombolytic or hemorrhagic stroke, and they're trying to recover, and basically a Western medical doctor will say, well, okay, go to physical therapy and good luck. Whereas in acupuncture, we're able to stimulate the body to heal and literally regenerate this nervous tissue and get it so that the brains operate again, and they bounce back incredibly quickly, and the studies are tremendous. The question everyone seems to have about acupuncture is, does it hurt? Oh, that is a big question. And in China, they actually use needles that are a little bit thicker than what we use here in America. The common ones they use in China are about maybe eight times the diameter of a human hair. What we use here is about four times the diameter of a human hair, and that difference makes a pretty good difference. And so if you've had one hair pulled on your arm or if you've had a mosquito bite, usually that's what an acupuncture needle feels like here in the U.S. You feel definitely a bit more of a pinch in China, and that's because they reuse their needles and they need to have something that's a little more robust than here in the United States where we have disposable needles, so we use them once and discard them. How many needles are used in a typical acupuncture session, and what are they actually made out of? The needles are stainless steel, and they're individually packaged and sterile upon delivery. As far as the number of needles, it depends on the condition and the patient. I tend to use between four and eight needles total, but I've been told of other acupuncturists who use as many as 15 or 20 during a, a session. How long does an average acupuncture treatment last? The Chinese believe that the energy flows through your meridian pathway and it takes 20 minutes to go through all of them. So usually you put the needles in, you retain them, meaning you leave them in the person for about 20 minutes, in which case they just rest and relax. And uh, quite a few of my patients actually fall asleep in the process. And uh, I usually let them cook about 35 minutes just because it's forced relaxation. So an average treatment usually takes about 45 minutes from beginning to end. And an initial treatment, depending on uh, how complex the person's problems are, I put aside an hour and a half for that. But each practitioner who's in private practice, they get to choose how long they spend with their patients. You mentioned a couple of conditions a few minutes ago, but what kind of conditions can acupuncture treat? You know, it's a pretty broad spectrum. Um, I'd, I'd say the weakness of acupuncture is in structural problems. So, for instance, you know, if a patient has uh, blocked fallopian tubes, you know, and she's trying to get pregnant, then you know, all the needles in the world aren't going to change that. Oh, I mean, with that being said, I do have books that have acupuncture point combinations for blocked fallopian tubes. So, you know, but most things that are structural, if you've got a... Um, disc that's severely herniated, then once again, we're not going to be able to change that markedly with acupuncture. We're able to reduce the pain associated with that, but we can't move that disc back into place, in which case a manipulative therapy like osteopathic or, or chiropractic would be appropriate. Could you give me an idea of how many treatments it would take for some average conditions? 
Absolutely. If, uh, if someone comes in and they've gone skiing on the weekend and they doofed up their knee, for instance, and so there's different levels of ligament tear. So let's just say a very minor uh, ligament tear, so micro-tearing. Uh, two treatments, maybe three treatments, and they'd be healed and they're good to go. For something that's very chronic, oh, you know, you've been playing football in college and now you're 45 and you still have back pain from that injury, that's something that can take months of treatment to resolve. But we can get you from a pain scale of 6 or 8 to a pain scale of 0. Can all of this be used in conjunction with Western medicine? Absolutely. I definitely feel that integrative medicine is a, is a much better term for us than alternative medicine, or complementary, in which case we're really trying to complement where the weaknesses of Western medicine are. And so I feel that acupuncture and physical therapy are really two good synergistic situations. I think that also massage therapy is awesome. You know, chiropractic is great. And just in terms of Western medicine, many people say, well, gee, you know, should I stop taking my ibuprofen for my shoulder pain? And my answer is no, as long as you're not popping them like Tic Tacs. You know, I have no objection. The, the thing is, is that when people have some chronic pain like uh, arthritis, for instance, that, you know, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are, are rather dangerous, that there's uh, 16,000 deaths and over 60,000 hospitalizations per year due to these over-the-counter medications. So, you know, I feel that we can meet in the middle somewhere. So I have no objection to people taking drugs, but I think that long-term use can sometimes be at a disadvantage. Besides the fact that this therapy has been used for 5,000 years by billions of people, how much scientific research has been done to prove that it works here in the U.S.? Well, there's significant research, and in my discussions with MDs, a lot of times they've said just that. They said, well, you know, sure, you tell me that it's uh, been around for 5,000 years, but there's no proof that it actually works. And my answer is you're absolutely right, except for over 13,000 double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that are on the NIH website. So the NIH has an NLM, which is National Library of Medicine, and they've had studies that are not only done here in the U.S., but are also done across the world in France and Germany, in Japan, and, of course, in China. Some experts will say, well, some of the Chinese studies lack statistical integrity or there's some methodological limitations to them. But from what I read and what I see, there's definitely good science. And the interesting thing, when people throw, oh, well, it's just placebo, it's interesting that uh, acupuncture consistently works better on animals than it does on human beings. And the reason for that is because animals don't have an emotional attachment to their illness. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. Sometimes electricity is added to the acupuncture's needles today, isn't it? Yes, yes, they call that electrostimulation, and the reason for its use is to simulate someone manipulating the needles for a period of time. So, you know, unless you have Cato, unless you have some kind of assistant there that can twirl the needles nonstop for 20 minutes, we clip the electrostim on there to, to do that instead.
There are many other techniques used as part of acupuncture, like cupping and moxibustion. Can you tell us a little about them? Sure. There's a couple. Uh, also, gua sha is, is one that's included. Cupping is definitely an ancient therapy. It usually, in the ancient times, they used bamboo cups, and they placed them in hot herbal mixtures and would lift them out and place them on the patient. And then the air would cool inside and form a suction. And then they would either leave them in place or they would move them around. Today we have something that's a bit more modern, and they're plastic cups with a, a special valve on the top and something that looks like a gun that sucks the air out of the cup. And what that does is a couple things. It uh, increases capillary action so you have more blood flow to the area if it's a particular uh, musculoskeletal problem. You can also move it around if you have any connective tissue that's stuck together called tissue adhesions. It helps pull those adhesions apart. So it's very different than massage therapy where you're always pushing. You can't really pull in massage therapy and that's what it does and it creates a shear on the connective tissue which, which is really unique to this system. A gua sa, gua literally translates into scrape and sa literally translates into red. So scrape red, Guasa is the name of the technique and also the name of the instrument. And the instrument, they use all kinds of different shapes and sizes, things that look rather flat. You can use a coin, you can use a spoon. This is something that, that they also do in other uh, areas like uh, Turkey and uh, the, the Middle East. But, but this is where you scrape, mostly on the back, but you can do it on other areas as well. And that's also used as a, what Western medicine would say a counter-irritant which means by scraping that area, you stimulate the body to become interested in that area and create more blood flow to it and speed up the healing. The final thing you're talking about, which is moxibustion, is moxa or mugwort is an herb that you burn, and you can, you can burn it in close proximity to the skin. You can burn it on the ends of needles, which some uh, of the listening audience may have seen in, uh, in, in martial arts movies. And you can also do direct moxibustion where you place this herb directly on the skin and burn it. And that's called scarring moxibustion. And that's outside of our scope of practice here in the United States. But that's used for a number of what's called cold conditions. And so if you have a cold condition, for instance, um, certain types of, of arthritis where when it gets cold out, it seems like your joints ache that much more. And you warm the area with this particular herb and the pain goes away. And the thing that makes this so interesting is the fact that, you know, again, nerds studied it, and they thought, well, you know, to keep the smoke and the nastiness out, we'll just clip some heaters to the needles themselves, and they measured the infrared or the heat production of this moxa and raised it and lowered it as this piece would burn and go out. And what they found is that it didn't work. And so then they thought, well, maybe it's the maybe it's the burning of the herb and that they're smelling it and that that smoke somehow has um, therapeutic value. So, again, they did the, the experiment where they had these big exhaust fans so that the patient couldn't get a whiff of it whatsoever, and they found that it still worked. So when they tried other herbs that had similar infrared heat variation, it didn't work. So there's something about moxa that seems to be very healing and studies were still not able to figure out what that magic thing is. But uh, it's used in the clinic. It, it does smell a little bit like marijuana when it burns, and so that, that can be a little problematic. My school was right across the street from a police station, and the exhaust fans, that one of the cops walked by, 
and he came in, and my professor is, is not that articulate in English, and the, the police officer was giving him a really hard time. <laughs> he was trying to explain to him, no, no, it's Moxa. Been around for a long time. We're not breaking the law here. There are new tools being used to stimulate acupuncture points today also, like cold lasers and sound waves. How do they compare with traditional acupuncture? So far, so good. You know, I haven't done a, a ton of research in various areas. I do know that you have to be fairly knowledgeable in the type of laser that's used because it varies on the type of acu- on the where the acupuncture point is located. So certain acupuncture points are very close to the surface, and that would be near the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes. And then there's others that can go rather deep, which would be on meaty parts of your body, like your, your back or your legs. And so you have to use a different wavelength of laser, as far as I know, in order to stimulate those points properly. But the studies are quite positive. And uh, there's also something called color puncture, and that's where they stimulate acupuncture points with colored light as well. And I don't know what the results of that is. And traditional Chinese medicine really focuses on prevention and the earliest possible treatment of a problem, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Here in America, we're, we definitely are dealing with reactive medicine, which is the don't fix it if it ain't broke syndrome. However, with traditional Chinese medicine, it's absolute that their main focus has to do with health and well-being. And, and again, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, as you said, has three components. The first two we spoke about, the acupuncture and the herbology, which is Chinese pharmacology. The third area has to do with, with physical, and that physical may be uh, the external energy, which would be things like uh, aerobics and that kind of thing. But then also developing internal energy is important, and that would be qigong and taiji. What kind of training is required to become a licensed acupuncturist? Well, it varies from state to state, and there are definitely some minimums. And the minimums include graduating from a, uh, an accredited institution. You, typically, it would be a three- or four-year program. So you do four years of undergrad and then three to four years of acupuncture school and then maybe an additional two years of herbology. Sometimes they're combined into one. And then there's a certain number of clinical hours anywhere from 500 to 1,000 clinical hours required as well. And so the degrees that are given, there's a a number of them. You can have a a certificate in acupuncture. You can have a master's level acupuncture degree. Or you could have what's called an OMD or DOM, which is a doctor of oriental medicine. What's the best way to find a skilled acupuncturist? Probably the best way to hunt one down is through the association's website, which is the American Association of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. So that would be AAAOMonline.org. Or the other way would be the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, which is NCCAOM.org. And you'll see something. It's a rather busy website, unfortunately, but it will say find a practitioner and you click on that and then you can just put in your uh, zip code and it'll give you all the practitioners within that area that have proper training. Bill, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about acupuncture and oriental medicine this evening. Anyone wanting to learn more about this process should check out their website at www.aaaomonline.org. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, 
please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.